0: To say that the Israelites and the Moabites did not see eye to eye would be a grave understatement. The Lord used the Moabites often in the early history of Israel to judge Israel whenever Israel strayed in their walk from the Lord. During the times of the judges, early on in the times of the judges... When the, Lord, when the children of Israel were in rebellion, the Lord used the Moabites to oppress the children of Israel, to cause the children of Israel to turn back to him. In Judges chapter 3 verse 27, the Lord raised a deliverer by the name of Ehud, and this is a description of one of the occasions where the children of Israel and the Moabites conflicted. And it came to pass when he had was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. And Ehud said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him, and they took the fords of Jordan toward Moab, and suffered no man to pass over. Now listen to the description. Upon the Lord answering the prayer of the cry of the children of Israel, sending Ehud to lead them to be delivered from these enemies, listen to the description of the Moabites. And they, the children of Israel, slew Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty, all men of valor, and there escaped not a man." The men of Moab were men of valor, they were men of strength, they were warriors. But they were also men that were full of lust. And and the lust would take itself out on the battlefield in the most heinous of ways. And the Lord used Ehud to deliver the children of Israel from under the oppression of the Moabites. Now you would think that the Moabites being such enemies of Israel that the Israelites would not at all be tempted or be desirous to follow the ways of the Moabites. But later on in the book of Judges, in chapter 10, verse 6, the Bible says this, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab. The Moabites were anything but friendly to the children of Israel, and the children of Israel were anything but friends to the Moabites. Yet there came a time during this period of judges when every man did that which was right in their own eyes, that the children of Israel faced famine in their land. Now the Lord used that famine much like he used the oppression of nations to draw God's people back to him. He promised that in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30 that he would do so. And the children of Israel agreed that they would accept this method of chastening by entering into covenant with the Lord. So when famine came to the land during the time of Judges... It is a wonderment how anybody would think during a famine in the land that as they looked at the lands that surrounded Israel, that they would be even tempted to go live in a land, even if that land surrounding Israel was full of plenty. But that's exactly what Elimelech did. Elimelech took his wife and two boys, and in the famine that they endured in the land of Israel, they fled and they went to live in the land of Moab. It's interesting what despair and fear can cause us to do, isn't it? When you and I live in a way in which we're not seeing the hand of, of God working in our life, and, and then when the Lord does chasten us as he promised us, and we flee from that chastening, isn't it interesting the depth that we'll go to to avoid the loving chastening hand of our Lord? That's exactly what Elimelech did. He led his wife and his two boys out of the land of Israel to dwell in the land of Moab. To compound matters, his two boys were in the land long enough to where their eyes fell upon two ladies in the land, two women. And Elimelech's sons married the daughters of Moab. That wicked, vile nation. If you take your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ruth, this is where we're going to be this morning. And I have a two part message, so we're not going to cover all two parts today, hence the two part part of it. But we're going to cover the first part, and I'd like to deal with the person of Ruth here. And I'd like for us to take a look at the life of Ruth and, and to consider the character of Ruth and who she was and what she did. And as we come into Ruth's life, we find very quickly that if we come from the perspective of Ruth, this is quite an occasion here. Uh, two men, one man in particular, whose eyes fell upon Ruth was a man of Israel, the sworn enemy of the Moabites. Israel had been oppressed by her people for a time until the God of the Israelites was more powerful than the, God of the, Mo- the gods of the Moabites. And now Israel is here, a portion of them, Elimelech and his family, are there in her land and the eyes of the son of Elimelech fall upon Ruth and Ruth's eyes fall upon him and they get married. She's a Moabitess married to an Israelite living in the land of Moab. can imagine the talk of the town there imagine the talk of the town if you would when you hear that Elimelech dies the Israelite dies in the land of Moab but it's not just Elimelech but Elimelech's two sons also die one of which was Ruth's husband so now Ruth is no longer a Moabite married to an Israelite Ruth is now a Moabite who's a widow of an Israelite whose mother-in-law is also an Israelite. And upon the death of her sons, Ruth chapter one, verse eight, Naomi says under under her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Ruth and Orpah for that matter, but our focus will be on Ruth here. Uh, Ruth here has a display of character that's revealed through Naomi's description. Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, you have dealt kindly with me. You have dealt kindly with the dead. You have not charged my God with ill thoughts. You have not said ill things about me. You have not left me destitute. Ruth, Orpah, you have dealt well with me. And what I'd like for us to take away this morning as we look at Ruth is the fact that Ruth... Had a duty to do that which was right, and she did it. Now we look at the life and the story of Ruth and Boaz, and and we look at it often with, with almost a sense of a fantasy when it comes to, you know, everything happened and everyone lived happily ever after. We think about it as a once upon a time sort of thing, almost a fairy tale ending when it comes to Ruth and Boaz. We look at the romance between the two and and we think of these love-struck individuals as time goes on when Ruth sees Boaz and Boaz sees Ruth and, and all of the events that went on and, and here finally we have them married at the end. But might I add and suggest this, that when we come into the book of Ruth and we come into the life of Ruth to where we're headed in Israel, no one had romance in mind. Naomi doesn't think there's any hope for Ruth. Ruth doesn't think there's any hope for Ruth. And once we get to Boaz later on, we're going to find that Boaz has absolutely no idea and understanding and indication that what's about to happen to his life will not only change his life, but his family for generations to come. But we do see character qualities in Ruth that the Lord uses as a light to the children of Israel as opposed to the rest of Ruth's nation that the Lord used as a means and instrument of punishment upon God's people. Ruth chose to do that which was right. And in verse 8, Naomi tells Ruth and Orpah, the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. Naomi and, I'm sorry, Orpah and Ruth did not have to treat Naomi well. Naomi's in their land. Naomi's in their territory. Naomi is a foreigner in their land. They don't have to treat Naomi well, but they did so anyhow. And that goes to show with Ruth's character that she did right even when others did not. Even when others would deal wrongly with Ruth, with, 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 I'm sorry, with Naomi, Ruth dealt right with her. Look in verse 9, Ruth, uh, Naomi goes on to say, the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept and they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. The duty to do right in the eyes of Ruth was not just she would do right even when others do not, but her duty to do right extended to where she would do right even when no one else was looking. No one else was there. This was a conversation between Naomi and her two daughters in law. It was a private conversation. Now, granted, it was a heartfelt, tearful conversation, but it was a private one nonetheless. And there would have been nothing wrong with Ruth and Orpah going back to their families. It would have been a typical, traditional, every sort of day, normal sort of response. But they said in verse 10, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Ruth chose, and Orpah chose to do right when no one was looking. They were not serving righteously uh, with eye services, men pleasers, but they did so because they understood it was right to be with Naomi. They didn't have the consequences behind it. They didn't realize what all would come of it, but they made a determined choice to do right. We come to verse 11 and here is where Orpah and Ruth take different paths. Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Here, Ruth is going to make a choice to do right even when there are no immediate rewards. And sometimes when we are called to do what's right, and by the way, we're always called to do what's right, but sometimes when that happens, there are no immediate rewards. We know what's right to do, but as, as Naomi so clearly states in verse 11... Why will ye go with me? Are you going to wait for more sons to be born unto me? I have no husband. And even if I did have a husband, for you to wait for my children to be of age to be married, you will be old by then. There's no hope to go where I'm going. There's no hope to stay with me as you desire to stay. There were no immediate rewards. And then in verse 12, there were no rewards even in sight. Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if, if I should have a husband also tonight, that should, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So Ruth continues in verse 16. To stay with her. She does right when no one is looking. She does right even when others don't. Ruth does right when there's no immediate rewards. And Ruth does right even when there are no rewards in sight in the future. She does that which is right. But as we come to verse 16, I think we find the real heart behind Ruth here and we see some of her own words now and see how the fruit of her doing right comes out of her mouth into the ears of Naomi. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Well, those are some strong words, aren't they? Could you imagine having such confidence uh, of of what you desire and where the Lord is leading you to be able to say such things? Could you imagine having such a focus about where you know you need to be that there's not going to be anything that dissuades you otherwise? You see, what we're seeing here from Ruth is the matter that her doing right is not doing right out of convenience, but out of Conviction. We have a woman here who is living a life out of a conviction of what's right to do. Notice again in verse 16. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. And notice how she states here so clearly, thy people are now mine. And by the way, Naomi, where you die, that's where I'll die also. And she entreats the name of the Lord and said, The Lord do so and more unto me, if aught but death part thee and me. Those are some strong words, aren't they? Do you know what this reminds me of in one sense? It reminds me of the vows that a husband and wife would take at an altar. We look at these words and we see the seriousness of her pledge and her promise that death and only death will part us. Naomi was a woman who was doing right even when others didn't. She was doing right even when no one was looking. She was doing right when there were no immediate rewards that came her way. And she was doing right when there were no rewards in sight in the future. She also did what was right out of conviction and not out of convenience. She made that statement when it was her and Naomi. And from that day on, they began to walk that lonely, long path back to Israel. Back to the enemies of the Moabites. Well, how would Naomi be received? Look in verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? Now I don't know what her physical appearance would have looked like, but here she's been in a foreign land, she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, one daughter-in-law has left upon her desire and now she has in her possession, only thing she has is Ruth the Moabitess. So what does Naomi say in verse 20? She said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Now remember, Ruth is right there. Why call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and notice now how she is described, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley, barley harvest. Here we have Naomi now back in a foreign land, and she's referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Now, she wasn't referred to that way in the land of Moab. She was just like anybody else. She wasn't Ruth the Moabitess in Moab. But in Israel, she's Ruth the Moabitess. And that was not a term of affection. That was a term of derision. That was a term of mockery. That was a term of hatred. That was a term of despising. That was an insult. That wasn't a compliment. Hold it. She did what was right, though, didn't she? Now you and I know the end of the story because we've read the end of the book of Ruth. But she doesn't know the end of the story. She did what was right out of conviction. And that right conviction led her to do right even if shame was the result. She did right even though she knew going to Israel she would endure shameful treatment. Would that persuade you from doing right? You'd have to be in just the right environment, wouldn't you? But I think we can all see ourselves, if if we know that making this right choice would involve us enduring some shame or some mockery or some jest, we would probably buckle under the pressure because oftentimes our choice to do right is not based upon conviction. Our choice to do right is based upon convenience. It's based upon what we, what's accepted of those around us. It's based upon what we see others do. And, and when we're with the crowd, we'll do right in the crowd's eyes. Because right to us is just a matter of time and a matter of place. Not for Naomi. Right was right no matter where she was. Whether it was alone in her land with her mother-in-law, or whether it was dwelling with her mother-in-law in a foreign land, being referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. And by the way, even in Naomi's eyes, as we look again in verse 21, Naomi says, the Lord brought me back empty. Even in Naomi's eyes, she had a hard time seeing that there could be anything good that came from having Ruth with her. Because she had Ruth the Moabitess. Again, we know the end of the story, but they didn't. And might I add this, you don't know the end of your story either. And the decisions that you and I make today, if right and doing right and living right before God is just a matter of convenience, then we would buckle under the pressure, I'm not going to go to Israel with Naomi. Are you kidding me? I'm staying right here. There's a lot more opportunity for me here in Moab. And by the way, I'm a little more comfortable here in my homeland. I'm not about to go out to where I've never been before to meet people I've never met before, and knowing that I, when I meet them, they're not going to accept me. No, Naomi, where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people. Now, they might not accept me, but I will accept them. What a statement, huh? What a conviction that's here. Even when doing right brings the shameful result, Naomi still does it. Look down in verse 2 of chapter 2. We look at Ruth continuing here. And we see this woman who is doing right in the world in what she lives. And and we find that Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me go now to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter. Ruth's living in a land that's not her homeland, living among people who don't like her. But she sees Naomi and realizes she needs to take care of Naomi. Naomi has changed her name to Mara because God has afflicted her and troubled her and brought her back empty. And so as Ruth is looking at Naomi, Naomi's still going through all of the mourning and the sorrowing and the bitterness against her God. For God hath dealt bitterly with her, in Naomi's words. Ruth says to her, Ruth the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, let me go to work. I mean, after all, what else is going to happen if you think about it? What else is she going to do? Let me go to work. Let me go now to the field and glean ears of corn. In this world in which I'm despised, and I'm referred to as Ruth the Moabitess, I've done right, I'm going to stay here with you till the day that we both go to the grave, only death shall part us, and so I need to be able to provide for us. And so this woman, in her right living, chooses to do right, but she does so in verse 2, one day at a time. What hope does she have here? Look again in verse 2 of Ruth 2. Let me go now to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. What goals does she have on her 5-year plan or on her 10-year plan? What goals does she have? What what would she desire to do by the end of the year? What New Year's resolution could she make? She has no hope of job, she has no hope of employment, she has no hope of a husband. What does her existence consist of? Naomi and supplying for Naomi it's a small world she has there isn't it it's her and it's Naomi but with what the Lord has given Ruth she's faithful with it isn't she do you see that here She's not going to sit by. She doesn't have her eyes on the horizon wondering what great things that she could do in the future. She doesn't have her eyes on the past wondering what she could be doing in Moab. She doesn't have her eyes on the men trying to maybe fulfill some of the expectations that the men of Israel would think would come from a Moabitess woman. What does she do? She faithfully serves where the Lord has placed her. She does right one day At a time. We don't live that way, do we? Not often. We live a week at a time, a month at a time, we live a semester at a time. And sometimes we forget to do right one day at a time. Ruth was a woman who did right when there was no others that did. She did right when there were no rewards in sight. She did right out of conviction, not out of convenience. She did right even though it brought shame to her. She did right one day at a time. As we look into verse 3, as she did right, look what happens in verse 3. She went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap. I like that. In all the steps of her right doing, this happening took place as if by coincidence. Her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. How in the world did Ruth and Boaz meet each other? And ladies, this is where I'd really like for you to focus this morning. We're going to hit the men hard later on. But ladies, she met Boaz because she did right days and years before Boaz came along. She was doing right, and the Lord brought into her life exactly who she needed and when she needed it. Now, I am not promising all of you ladies a husband. That's often where we get the book of Ruth. This is a way to meet a husband. Not at all. It's a way to do right in the sight of the Lord. And you'll never be content with where God leads you tomorrow until you're content with where God has placed you today. You never will be. If you're always looking about what other people have and what other people are doing and you're never content with what God is doing now, if you're not being faithful with the Naomi that the Lord has given you now, you'll never be content with the Boaz that God brings your way later. This example of Ruth for you ladies here is a beautiful example of doing right no matter what the Lord does in your life, either to bring people in or to bring people out the Lord will do right by you our responsibility is to do right by him and you men that are in here need to be looking for ladies who do right when no one is looking who do right when there's no advantage to the future who do right when there's no immediate advantage who have a conviction of doing right it's not just convenient And who do right one day at a time. And as you ladies are doing right by the Lord, when the Lord opens the door in his timing for whatever it is he has for your next step in life, you're going to be ready because righteousness is not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of conviction. This world needs godly women who will live a life of conviction for the Lord and who will not be persuaded by the Moabites or the carnal Israelites of the day. What an encouragement that's here! What an instruction. Next time, men, we're going to look at Boaz. But may you and I receive confidence and encouragement. Make righteous living a conviction, not a convenience. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College. Empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.